Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, hopefully we can calmly talk about the truths that are found in God's Word. We want to know the truth. It's really the truth alone that sets us free. In a world where arguing seems to be the norm, where truth seems to be something we try and invent or create in our own minds, it's refreshing to take a half hour and unwind with the Word of God and just think about what God is trying to say. I encourage you to open your Bible. I encourage you to read the Bible. Read it through cover to cover every year. Know what God says. Apply it to your life. There are so many English versions of the Bible that if you speak English, there's going to be very little reason why you don't know what it says. I found it weird in life how many people criticize God's Word that really don't know what it says. Or they criticize God, but they're atheists. They don't even believe there's a God. So it's like me criticizing somebody I don't believe even exists. It sounds silly to me. If you were with us last nighttime, we were in the book of Philippians and finished the first chapter. So I thought I would continue to read and comment on Philippians. Even more, I encourage you to open your Bible and just meditate on what those words say and mean and how you can apply them to your life. The truth will always make sense and the truth will set you free. Philippians 2, 1 through verse 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confessed, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. These are powerful yet simple words as we look at them. If there's any encouragement in Christ or any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, if you have any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. It's important that we understand one truth and not many truths. There's one truth, and the truth is what sets you free. And as you understand the truth and you live in the context of it, you're joining others who through history have understood this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from the love that you get, 
if there's any participation in the Spirit, if you're listening to the Spirit of God and responding, if you have affection and sympathy, then complete my joy, the Apostle Paul is saying, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Those who know the truth do not have several directions in which they think. Those who know the truth understand that in the beginning, God and God created. He created the universe. He created everything. Everything is created by him and is sustained by him. And those who know the truth know that and they live in that context. Those who know the truth understand that God created male and female. He didn't create sort of males and sort of females. He created male and he created female and he made them different. And they actually are different. And so they live in the context of the truth and therefore they're healthy. Those who understand that God created the family, he, he ordained the family, one man, one woman, who would be committed to each other for life. This isn't an arrangement that they make. This is a commitment they make to each other. It's not one man with one man. It's not one man with anything else. It's one man and one woman who are committed to each other for life. That's how God made it. And that's how it works best as we look at it. So those people who understand the truth and live in the context of the truth, they also see things the same because it's the truth they're looking at. Now, if you want to consider everybody's emotions, feelings, whatever they would like to put a word in there to describe themselves, you might find people thinking all over the place and you're not thinking in the same terms. There are some things that are foundational. For example, there is a God and I'm not him. The world was created. It, it never. There's no logic that allows you to think it evolved from a big explosion and everything got into place and every living being comes from that. That doesn't make any sense at all. The only thing that makes even remote sense is the idea that it was created by someone who actually understands how it all fits together. Those who understand the basics in the Bible, they can bond together and be those who see the world the way it really is and enjoy being in each other's presence because they have the same mind. Now, Philippians 2.3 tells us a very important principle of being successful in life. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing, or in the King James, it says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Strife, if you look at the original there, that actual word is used a total of seven times in the King James Version. That's not a lot of times. But it comes from a word that means intrigue, that is the implication of fa faction or contention, strife. Do nothing from strife or selfish ambition. It's interesting that the ESV translates it selfish ambition. Where the King James Version translated it as strife. If I'm all about me, then I am going to be a person who lives in anger all the time. 
Because if I'm all about me and you're all about you, we can't coexist together. Because if you're all about you and I do something that's not about you, then all of a sudden you have to do something to me because I'm not all about you. If I'm all about me, I'm going to live my life absolutely miserable because nothing in the universe points to the fact that I should be all about me, that it's that the universe is about me, that you're about me, that that every cow that was ever created was created so I could have a steak. You know, that that's not how it works. For me to understand life, I need to realize that it's not about me. It's really about God. God is the creator and sustainer of all life. And if my life is not about God, if it's about me, then I'm going to be somebody who's going to be miserable. Now, if I am miserable, I need to look at that and see that misery is not a fruit of the Spirit. So if I am miserable, it's not because I'm listening to God. It's because I'm not listening to God. You might say, well, that's why I do things to not be miserable. Well, yes, there are places in life where you can go and have a moment of pleasure. The dopamine factor can take place. But in reality, when you listen to God, you're satisfied with life. You're looking forward to the future, and you're looking forward to see what God will do with you, through you in the future. You realize that you're not necessary, but you're wanted, which is a key component to really living life to its fullest. If you really understand how the world was created, and if you really know who God is, you don't do things from your selfish ambition because you realize how foolish it is. Or conceit, where you're telling other people, you know, look at me. In the King James Version, conceit is translated vain glory. There's empty glory, that's self-conceit, that's look at what I can do. I actually can do nothing without God blessing me. My next breath that I take is a blessing from God that he allows that breath to go in my body and my arteries not clog up. That's a blessing from God. I don't do anything where I can point to me and say, what a good boy I am. Because the truth is, I'm a sinful person and I depend on God's mercy to have forgiven me for my sins and his grace to give me purpose to live every day. I have nowhere where I can go and say, look at me, focus on me, that doesn't work. I need to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than myself. As I live in this world, I need to look at those around me and try and figure out what I can do to make them successful, to let them understand what God's love is about, to have them understand the truth of the scripture. I don't need to make this life about me. I need to make this life about God and about others. And that's exactly what God has said in his word. He said that I should be about loving him or obeying him showing the world who he is, and about loving others, making life about their best, not mine. Can you imagine living in a world where people knew God, they knew how things were structured, they ordered their life according to how God said it should be ordered, 
Nobody would need to lock doors. Nobody would need to guard themselves on social media for what's said. They might not even be on social media. They live in a way that represents the truth, and the truth is what sets you free. Men lived as men, women as women. They respected each other. They didn't use each other. They loved each other, and they looked for ways to help each other be all that they could be. They did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But they were in a humble state as they counted others more significant than themselves. In the fourth verse, it kind of reiterates it. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It is so easy for me to just be consumed with what I'm interested in. I have interests. And whatever my interests are, I really want you to be interested in it as well. But the Bible makes it very clear that if I'm going to be looking out for others, which is my job to do, if I want to be significant in life, I want to live life to the max, I need to be thinking of those around me and what's best for them. Not how to accommodate their sin, not how to just you know, be bland in their life, but what can I do for the people in my life, the students in Nicolay Bible Institute, the campers at Silver Birch Ranch, my own family, what can I do to help them see God and live according to the truth? I need to be one who doesn't just consider what I want and what my interests are, but I need to be consumed in a way with the interests of others, consumed with the interest of God. What is God interested in? What are these others interested in that I can help them along their journey with? And the fifth verse says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. Have the idea of thinking of others. When you look at God, that's what he did with us. Jesus came down to this earth, not because he needed to, because he wouldn't be God if he didn't but because the best thing for mankind would be for the sins that we have committed to be paid for. And Jesus could pay for them. He's the only one in the universe that could. And so he came down to this earth, not because it benefited himself, but because it benefited me. I needed Jesus to die for my sins in order for my sins to be paid for. Or I would face forever separation from God, and that isn't what I was created to do. So if I follow his pattern, I look to people in my life and try and figure out what I can do to help them, regardless of what it costs me. What can I help them in their life do to understand who God is and how to walk with him? I need to look to each of them, not with my own interests, but their interests. I need to have the mind in my mind that Christ had in his. The sixth verse explains it a little bit. It said, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus didn't consider it important that he get all the glory he should. What he considered important was that he could die for our sins so that we could be with him and we are his glory. When your kids do what's right, you can see the glory that you feel as a parent. When I do what's right, 
God is glorified in my life. You see, Jesus came to this earth. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Those of you that have rejected Jesus, you just don't understand the love of God and what he did so that you could be in his family. God isn't an angry God in heaven with his arms folded waiting to punish you for all the evil in life. He's actually wanting you to be in his family, and he's already paid the price so that you can be in his family. Jesus emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. When we speak about being servants, we speak of it in terms of the purpose that God gave us to do in this life. He created us to be servants, not to be served. If you're listening tonight, I want you to explicitly understand that there is no possible way that you will ever be fulfilled in this life by getting everyone else to serve you. You were made to be a servant, not to be served. You were made to be one who recognizes God's provision for you and lives in a way where people can see him. So it's all about him. And while you're with other people, you were created to serve them as Jesus served us. And as you do that, you will find fulfillment because that's the way that you were created and are created. Verse 8 there says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by being an obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Servants are obedient. If you didn't think that was painful for Jesus, you don't understand that he was very human even though he was God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood over the decision to follow God, but he followed God because he knew that was the only way to fulfillment. Notice the circumstances did not stop him from following God. He followed God even though the circumstances took him to a cross. Why? Because he was a servant, and that's what God said to do, even though it was hard. And he was somebody who was loving me and you by making sure that our sins were provided for so that we could be in his presence for eternity and get back to living the way that we were created to live. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He was in a human form. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what did God do in response to that? Verse 9 tells us that therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, everybody will recognize the fact that Jesus is God. They will proclaim it from every avenue of life because it'll be obvious to them. It's not obvious to some today. And I ask you, what's blocking their view? Am I blocking their view? Can they not see Jesus because of how I live? Because if I'm actually walking with God and loving him and 
and demonstrating that I have I trust him and have faith in what he's doing. Wouldn't I represent him in a way where it would challenge those around me with who he is? I know that as I walk with God and remain obedient to him, that it is up to God to use my life in a way that actually matters. It's not for me, it's, it's up to him. And I need to live in a way that recognizes the fact that there is one deity in the universe, God. God in the form of the Spirit, God in the form of Jesus Christ, the Trinity, one God. And one day everybody will acknowledge that. And those that have denied Jesus will feel more than foolish. They will feel helpless and hopeless. And they will be helpless and hopeless. Because Jesus is the only access to the Father. We need to understand that and live in that context and invite as many people as we know to join us in that context because it is the only hope that man has ever in the United States and anywhere else in the world. Let me read this section again from the beginning. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of the full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2 goes on, and I can read verses 12 through 18 that says, Therefore, since what we just talked about is true, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. 
Boy, the Apostle Paul would have a lot to complain about if he was a complainer. Listening to God, doing what's right, and in the process getting beat up no matter where he went. Satan opposed the Apostle Paul. He opposed his message because his message was about God. There is no possible way that you and I can speak of the truth and not be opposed. For Satan will rear his ugly head, and in that process, he will come after you. He will come after us. And he will do everything he can to discourage, to get us into a place of depression and anger and anxiety, and have us forget the precious position that we have. Those of us that know the truth know that it is not our lives and our perfection that God is demanding. It's that we have our faith in what Christ did on the cross for us. And as I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ as my payment for sin, I am extended his mercy, which means I will never in my life have to pay for those sins in a way where I'm separated from God. And I get to live in the context of his grace, which means that every day I get up, I get to look as what it means to be a child of God and live in that context for the rest of eternity. I will be able to look at God and rejoice in the fact that he was merciful and graceful to me. Not because I've earned it, because I haven't, but because of his character. And no matter what the circumstances of life, I understand that God is at work, and when God is at work, Satan opposes his work. Therefore, as the Apostle Paul in verse 14 is told, I need to do all things without grumbling or disputing. I need to work on that. I think sometimes my understanding of life is skewed because I think that if I do what I should, then God should just make sure I'm comfortable. I have a lazy boy, a chocolate chip cookie, and a nice cup of coffee. It's not the way it works in warfare, and we're in war whether we like it or not. I need to learn to do all things without grumbling or disputing, and the only way that I get there is by that first part of this chapter where I realize that it's really not about me. It's about God and his faithfulness. And as I do what I'm supposed to do, I'll be blameless and innocent, without blemish. If I hold fast to something, I need to hold fast to the word of life, to to the word of God. So that when I stand before God, I can get a well done, my good and faithful servant. I've thought about that often because I don't think that a well done, my good and faithful servant is automatic for anybody. I think that happens when it's been well done and you've been good and faithful to God. Because God won't lie. And I guess one of my fears in life is that I might be standing there waiting to hear that and he's all done talking. If I want to change that, then I need to live my life that demonstrates well done. A good and faithful servant. If I live my life according to those things, then perhaps those words might come from God. I need to hold fast to the word of life and understand, even as the Apostle Paul said, that my life could be a drink offering poured out, being used of God 
in a very significant way to help other people know who he is. Once again, there's no way to do this apart from being beat up and attacked in different ways. God is faithful. He's faithful to those who listen to him. He's faithful to those who love him. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of honor. And in the end, those who cling to him will not be disappointed. Those who want a life of comfort and ease don't understand the purpose that God put us on this planet for. He put us on this planet to fight a fight. It's his fight. We need to let him do it. And in that process, we rejoice in being part of the overall force that he uses for good. Well, once again, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. I invite you to check those websites out and join us at Silver Birch Ranch, Northwoods Retreat, Foster Family Connect, Relate365.com, or the Nicolay Bible Institute. We look forward to serving you in the years to come. Good night for now.